Welcome to Pediatric Meltdown, the podcast about children's mental health and emotional well-being. I'm Dr. Leah Gugino, a primary care pediatrician, and I created this podcast for the pediatric medical community and anyone who cares about children's behavioral health. Pediatric Meltdown offers thoughtful conversations featuring experts from the field. Learn practical strategies from the best and become a savvier clinician. Hey listeners, welcome back to Pediatric Meltdown. My guest today is Dr. Phil Boucher and funny story, he and I did a incredible interview last March when I was still pretty new at the game and it was a really robust conversation and when we got to the end, I realized that, oops, I forgot to record it. So Dr. Boucher has graciously given his time again to share some thoughts uh, with you. And um, here we go. Dr. Boucher is a direct care pediatrician in Lincoln, Nebraska, and the father of six. Dr. Boucher is the host of Raising Good Parents podcast, focusing on helping parents enjoy parenthood more. And he also hosts the Pediatrics 2.0 podcast. Dr. Boucher and his guests discuss the latest trends in pediatric practices, from clinical updates to research advancements to revolutions in care delivery. Check out his most recent episode with Dr. Paul Offit. I am so grateful for Dr. Boucher's time, energy, and enthusiasm for the practice of pediatrics. So sit back and enjoy the conversation. Hey, Phil, how are you? Good. Uh, it's so good to talk with you. It's been a long time since we've chatted, and I'm just excited to get the chance to speak again. Yes, and for podcasters who don't know the backstory, Phil and I <laughs> did a fabulous interview. I mean, gosh, it was almost a year ago. And no, I it was forgot, probably like two years ago. Now. It was a long time ago, <laughs> and I forgot to push the record button. <laughs> and, it was a good practice run. Yeah, well... So anyhow, that was a huge loss. I was so sad because it was so good. But we're going to revisit, and there's lots of new things. So I'm really excited to connect with you again. Well, let's start with your backstory. So what's your path into pediatrics? Can you share that? Right. So as far as pediatrics goes, I, I had always really liked science, and I really liked problem solving. And so that kind of led me first and foremost to medicine and, and research. But then I, I did research in undergrad and I liked more the more immediacy of patient care rather than doing, you know, long-term research studies where it takes months to get the Western blot to work just right. And so that led me specifically into medicine. And then I found as I went through, I wasn't a big fan of all of the stuff that adults get. And so that led me to pediatrics. And it's something that I've always had a passion for. And I loved my pediatrician growing up. And it was something that I always considered. And then really, it just became, okay, I really like the science. I really like the the conditions that kids have, and that most of them do quite well. And there is lots of teaching for families and education opportunities. And so that really led me down the pathway to pediatrics. And so finished residency and then started as, and for the past seven years, I've been a pediatrician in Lincoln, Nebraska. Very good. Well, I share your previous experience in research. I worked in a physiology lab mm -hmm. and I it, this was like pre much in the way of computers. So my job was measuring the distance between two lines in millimeters. And it was like pages and pages. And I was just like, I do not have the patience for this. 
So yeah, much prefer the hands-on. And I, I agree with, I all respect my adult internal medicine colleagues, but I just couldn't do that. It's so much more fun being on the prevention end way upstream. So, and plus kids make you laugh too. That's always Amen. It's, that's it's, a bonus. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that there are people that like to take care of adults and <laughs> take, take care of me as I get older and everything like that. But I would much prefer my patient like stickers and, you know, be enticed by stickers to, at the end of the visit rather than, you know, having just all the problems and medication lists that adult doctors have to deal with. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know how they sort that out. It always amazes me. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about your practice journey because you're doing some new things and what's that look like for you? And, you know, in talking about practicing medicine, I, you know, this is just kind of a for fun episode to talk about sort of the real work that we do you know, some of the joys that, you know, the, the stickers and the laughter, but what are some of the challenges? Because I know, I know we face those. Right. Well, I mean, I think, you know, just in the broad sense of things, COVID has been just, uh, you know, a roller coaster for everybody. At first, it was the challenge of, you know, seeing patients safely and then patients not coming in and needing to make sure that we're, you know, seeing enough patients to keep the lights on and the doors open. And then now seeing so many patients in the midst of the Omicron surge that you you want to keep everybody possible away that you can. It's just thrown a wrench into everybody's plans and the way that they practice for decades. For me, I'm actually, as you kind of alluded to, in the midst of a practice transition, I just three weeks ago opened a solo pediatric direct primary care practice. So I've been in Lincoln for seven years, was with a group as a partner in that group. And then the last six months have been preparing to leave and set out on my own clinic and start a direct primary care practice. So that's been really like the exciting thing that I've been working through. In addition to, we just had a new baby uh, six, seven months ago, and we just built a house. So it's 2021 <laughs> was a really um, busy year. It was challenging in a lot of different ways, but I have learned just to embrace the challenge and say, you know, how can I do this? How can I do this well? And and just enjoy what what the challenges bring. And I think that has really helped me as there's been just tons of challenges in the past year. So I want to unpack a bunch of that because there's so much good stuff. One is I want to know what's in your coffee cup in the morning because, (laughs) I mean, I know you work full time. You have a new practice. You're building a house or built a house. New baby, which I think was child number six. Yep. Is that right? And and then you do these podcasts. So, I, I mean, boundless energy and you're like a really cheerful person. So <laughs> cheers to you. And I and do. You know, I'm an espresso drinker. That is like what I drink. And so that maybe, you know, gives me a little <laughs> bit more spunk than just like the regular old cup of coffee. I'm not sure. Uh, what time do you but get up I in the morning? So Oof. rather early, but it lets me get the stuff that I want to done and exercise and all those things. And then I just go to bed early. My wife and I usually, you know, go to bed around nine, between nine and 10 o'clock typically. So that gives you more time for all those other busy things. Right, right. Well, yeah, sometimes it seems like there's probably not enough hours in a day. So tell me a little bit about this solo, what's direct primary care? I guess I thought in my head, that's right. all direct. So tell me about that. 
So direct primary care, the word direct really means a direct relationship with patients and the physician rather than having the insurance middleman that kind of dictates care. That's what the direct means. Not that you aren't otherwise, you know, directly involved with your patient's care and everything like that, but we cut out the middleman. So instead of a traditional practice fee for service, you get paid when they come in for their checkups, you get paid when they come in for their sick visits, co-pays, all those sorts of things. We base our financial model on a membership. So every month, patients pay for access, and that includes all the access that they need, whether it's checkups, sick visits, vaccinations, sutures, the unexpected COVID illness striking the family and testing and all of that. We do whatever parents and patients require as just part of the membership fee, like a, like a gym membership or like Netflix, you just pay a monthly fee and then everything is included. Wow. So one-stop shopping. Is is this what would be also referred to as concierge medicine? So there's lots of debate about concierge versus direct. And I mean, it is just semantics what the difference is. In some cases, especially in the adult world, concierge implies that you take insurance and then you pay for a fee for access. So it would be a traditional office, but then you've got a $5,000 per year fee to become a member of it. So a lot of people think of concierge in that way, whereas direct, there's we, we just don't deal with insurance at all. So we don't submit claims to insurance. Patients just pay us a membership fee every month. You can give discounts. You can give people free access. We have a number. We try and keep 20% of our our patients at um, a reduced fee or free, depending on their financial situation. So we're able to help families that are having financial issues as well. And it just gives us the freedom to, to do what we need to for patients. It also has allowed me to be accessible to patients in ways that a traditional model doesn't. So patients can text. And if they want to text a picture just last night, you know, somebody texted a picture, do we need to go get sutures? No, that's just, you know, a tiny laceration below the chin that will heal up just fine. We're able to handle a lot of those things over text messages, over videos, over telemedicine that previously would have to come into the office, pay a copay, take hours out of the work schedule and all those sorts of things. I think this is just fascinating. I mean, in the, I mean, I've always been an employed physician, worked in a hospital employed practice. And I think so many people are going to that model or large practices. So to become a solo pediatrician, I mean, how did you make that leap? Right. Well, I'd kind of always like, I'd, I'd listen to some podcasts and have some friends that have done direct primary care, both family medicine and pediatrics. And things just lined up with the way that my practice was going in the past year that I decided it was time to make a switch. And um, going out on my own seemed scary, except for the, the benefit of the membership model is you can focus on a much smaller patient panel and still, you know, take good care of patients and financially do fine for a pediatrician. So the idea of going out on my own was a little bit daunting if I had as big of a patient panel as I previously had, but being able to cut that down and really focus on the quality and deliverability and access um, has made it really much more manageable. The other nice thing about it is you don't have to have billers. You don't have to have coders. There's, There's much lower overhead because you're not dealing with all of the issues that come along with taking insurance, all the people that are filing claims and trying to get paid for all those visits, you know, that that were six months ago that insurance, you're still dealing with denials and everything. We don't have that at all. So it's cut down on overhead and made it much more feasible from both the pediatrician practicing standpoint and the office management and financial success standpoint. 
I'm I'm fascinated. Does it afford you more time with patients because you can oh, be absolutely. flexible? You can totally be flexible. There's no push. You know, you don't have to try and squeeze in every patient. We're not like looking at our schedule and on days that it's empty, thinking about how we're going to pay the electricity bill um, because whether or not the patients come in, we get their monthly membership fee is just, you know, if you use your Netflix or if you don't, you still pay the, the monthly fee for it. And in the same way, we're able to spend as much time as we want with patients. I've gone to patients' homes if they're wheelchair bound or something and don't want to leave the office. We can, you know, run out to their car and see them in the parking lot, whatever is most convenient and most allows us to provide quality care in the most accessible and convenient fashion. We're able to do based on the the this new direct primary care model. Interesting. Well, you're quite the entrepreneur. I mean, kudos, kudos to you. Do patients like it? Oh, they love it. They love it. Uh, a couple facets of it so far. I mean, we've been we've been open for the past three weeks. And so the biggest things that they really like, I mean, being able to text and get answers and avoid office visits and missed work and missed school and sorts of things is really um, something that, that patients really like. Booking appointments online, which otherwise isn't able to be done in our city by the other pediatric offices in town. You can just go onto the website, like you book your um, reservation on OpenTable and book an appointment. So instead of, you know, wondering or calling or waiting on hold or hoping that you'll be able to get in, it's two in the morning and your baby is up with a cough and a runny nose. So you can just book your appointment for the morning. And, and so, and then just the time to be with patients too, the actual practice of medicine and the practice of being at the bedside with them. I've loved that about it. And I think my patients do too, that visits are unrushed and unhurried. And, you know, my, the other thing that has been really nice is my use, as you said, we have six kids and on Saturday mornings, I'm in the office for just about 60, 70 minutes. And my, one of my kids comes in with me and plays receptionist and gets parents coffees or waters and stickers and those sorts of things at those visits. So that's kind of just been a fun perk of it too, is being able to involve my kids in the, the business of it as well. And patients love that too. Wow. It's next generation coming up. <laughs> there <laughs> yeah, you I don't go. Know if they'll, I don't know if they'll want to be physicians. I, I guess the jury's still out on how I would, I, I wouldn't sway or dissuade them, but I don't think I would push them towards that route necessarily if it wasn't something that they were really passionate about. Right. Absolutely. Well, we, you alluded a little bit to COVID and, you know, I know that that's such a challenge on so many levels, I think, sure. um, as we're trying to figure out how to best care for kids and, you know, numbers climbing. I mean, I know in our region, you know, the children, we've had two children die in our county in the last two weeks from COVID, which was in a first. And, you know, this, it's real. It's hard to know, like, is there light at the end? Um, how has that been for you? I mean, how are you, how are you holding up? I think it's been, I mean, it's been challenging in a lot of ways. Obviously, I don't have to repeat all the challenges that you've spoken to there or, you know, what everybody in pediatrics is going through at the moment, especially with the surge going on right now. I think more so than the the physical demands and the uncertainty and everything like that is, I think it's hurt a lot of people's perception of their fellow humans to some degree, especially those in the medical community, just seeing um, the response in the community and and the way that some people treat other people just in our country and world. I think that's probably been more of a challenge, at least from my perspective, than necessarily the long hours, the illness. I had COVID last October or two Octobers ago now, like 
about seven or eight months into the pandemic, I had COVID too. But I think more so than those physical challenges and uncertainty and financial challenges and everything like that, it's just, it's, it's harder to think positively about all of our fellow humans out there. And I think that is going to take a lot longer to heal than all of the issues that we're currently facing with the pandemic in terms of illnesses and school, miss, missing school and all of those sorts of things. Well, it seems like there's a lot of anger, mistrust, confusing information. And, you know, rather than it feeling like we're all in this together, you know, when there's been, you know, some kind of a disaster, whether it's a fire, a flood, or, you know, gosh, it seems like every time you turn around, there's something, you know, but people come together and and help out. And I think that's what we long for is this, you know, I'm I'm here to do because I care about you and you care about me and we're, we're doing the best to keep each other safe. I think that piece is missing. And so everybody feels icky about it. It just, mm-hmm. you know, it, it feels sad. It feels scary, you know, cause it, it just, you know, you don't want to have to go things alone or feel right. like, you know, that, you know, that we're all, you know, can play by the rules and, and do our mm-hmm. part. And I think that part for right. me is hard. I think that has been a challenge and and from the Facebook physician, Facebook groups and everything like that, you know, I think that's one of the overriding themes is just, it doesn't feel like we're all in this together or that we're all, you know, even acting as if we're in the same world. To me, what I think has helped is just to try and well, stay off social media as much as possible because there's not much good that, I mean, you're not going to feel better about your fellow human af- humans after you know, spending a half an hour scrolling through comments on local news stories and things like that. But I think recognizing the influence that articles and posts and shared information can have, and that we as physicians are susceptible to that too at times, and that everybody's just doing the best they can. And that's what I just try and remind myself, even when it doesn't seem that way, is that everybody's doing the best they can. They might not have the right information. They might have succumbed to misinformation or disinformation, which uh, everybody's guilty of from time to time. And and so I try and just give the grace of if they, if they knew what was really going on, they would probably be acting differently or being kinder at least. And so, I mean, that, that helps a little bit as we go through this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it is a challenge and I think we're all longing for, you know, what's it going to look like, you know, when this is maybe just endemic you right. know, that it's, it, that it feels like we're, we can live with this. I don't know if I'll ever be able to get on an airplane without a mask again. Though. <laughs> I, I don't I know. Was, what... that, that was always a fear of mine. Like just in, you know, pre-pandemic was, oh, we're going to go somewhere. We're going to go to Mexico and then we're going to get sick on the way there from the airplane. Although, you know, the other thing that really the pandemic has highlighted is some of the scientific things that you never thought of before reading stories about how airplanes are actually quite safe when it comes to germs because of the way that they, you know, the airflow and ventilation and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) There's been a lot of things that I've just learned that we took for granted before or had bad information ourselves about. So, you know, it's, it's been an education for everybody in different ways. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, there's a lot of things that you learn how to do better. I mean, you know, just the fact that we can do Zooms. I mean, I never knew how to do that. And I mean, I think it's changed a lot of what we do. So I just wanted to also talk a little bit about podcasting because you and I are both fellow podcasters and you've had several podcasts and have a new one. And as I mentioned before, not sure where you have the time and energy to do all that, but (laughs) 
Um, so your new podcast is Pediatrics 2.0. And who's your audience and what do you hope to share with them? Yeah, I love podcasting. I feel like it's such a good medium to get to have really good conversations and also to have an impact because people are listening to you and, and hearing what you have to say and hearing from your guests. So I've always loved podcasts. I, I was a podcast listener back when you had to like manually drag them onto your iPod with the circle wheel and then, you know, try and get it to sync up in iTunes and all of that. And I've loved podcasts ever since. So yes, I, I do love podcasting and I often have to restrain myself from like not starting more podcasts because like, oh, that would be such a cool podcast to do. But my newest one is called Pediatrics 2.0 and it's for pediatricians primarily. And it really explores both the clinical side of things, leadership advances in the field, practice management changes, all of the different areas of being a pediatrician. And so what the the podcast will actually not really launch until February, but I had the opportunity to interview Dr. Paul Offit a couple of weeks ago about the COVID, where we were at with COVID. And so I didn't want to like hold on to that, you know, and have it sit for a few weeks. So I kind of just pushed it out, started early because he had time to record, but we'll have episodes like that where we talk to different pediatric influential thinkers, much like your podcast, where we can help pediatricians to practice at their best and learn from each other. So that's what my new podcast is. And then I also have my podcast for parents called Raising Good Parents, where I talk with other parenting experts, authors, and the like about different topics that are on the minds and hearts of modern parents and how to help parents to do the best that they can. I love that. I think it's so exciting that you do that. And can you talk a little bit about, I, I know on the Raising raising Good Parents, you talk a lot about sort of building relationships. And I know I just did a podcast with another fellow podcaster, Scott Grant, and he talked a lot about relational health. And I almost think at the end of the day, the practice of medicine is really the practice of relationship building. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, you got to know your stuff. You got to know facts and all that kind of thing too, for sure. That's important, but it you just can't deliver the care if you just knew a bunch of facts. So right. talk, talk about the building relationships and what you hope to do with your your podcast for parents. You know, for parents, I think a lot of times they feel alone or that they're the only ones struggling with whatever is on their plate, or they don't know, you know, where to seek good advice or where to get good expert opinions from, because there's just so many out there and you'd get on Instagram or Facebook or Amazon or anything like that. And it's hard to know who to trust or who to believe. So having a consistent voice and somebody that is reliable, I think is huge for parents. And that's what I hope to bring and and to bring that with the guests that I get to speak with on a regular basis. And so my hope with the Raising Good Parents podcast is just to help parents have the resources that they need to do the best job that they can. And I think, you know, something that goes along with the concept of pediatrics 2.0, meaning like what's the future of pediatrics looks like. There's a lot more questions and concerns about parenting issues, then is my child getting an adequate number of, you know, servings of fruits and vegetables per day? Or are they at risk for, you know, these bacterial infections that really we have through the miracle of an amazing science of vaccines been able to shift the focus from the acute issues of children's physical health to a lot of the mental health issues behavioral health, developmental parenting things that that we're able to spend our time on. So really the podcast helps me to keep up to date on what's the important things that we should be talking with parents about and teaching parents how to do 
as pediatricians, because that's something that, I mean, mental health, we got a little bit of that during residency and training, but not very much parenting strategies, almost nothing. And so if I can help learn for myself and benefit my audience, then it's just a win-win. And I really enjoy getting to have those conversations. And as I'm sure you found with having a podcast, it's like hosting a party, you know, at your parents' house when they're out of town, everybody will come and come over and hang out because you just get to have those good conversations. So you get access to people that otherwise probably wouldn't have time to just email you or have a one-on-one conversation, parenting authors, experts in the field, you know, people like Paul Offit on my, my Pediatrics 2.0 podcast. It opens a lot of doors to you to have a podcast and a place for people to share. I'm addicted to podcasts. I love them. For me, it's my, I don't, I wouldn't say necessarily guilty pleasure, but I save it for when I go for walks. And so totally. I only, I only listen to podcasts when I'm walking. So it's a treat. Yeah. <laughs> so I try and pair those activities. But yeah, I just, it's an interesting way to consume information. And I think the um, format is, is very accessible. And, and, you know, for me, I just feel like the, <laughs> I wish that I had heard or knew these folks when I was in practice because it's just such good information and they're just that good. And, and, you know, Paul Offit, my goodness. I mean, I I don't know any other vaccine guru that you could get. So that's, that's amazing. Well, you know, one of the things I think that we do as pediatricians is advocate for kids. And I think podcasting is a way to do that, especially when you're, have different kinds of listeners in your audience, but what are some other ways that you think about when you, you know, want to advocate for kids or think about that in your own life and your practice? Right. So that's a big part of my practice. And that was part of the reason that I wanted to shift to my own practice too. As you said, you know, everybody's busy with my new practice. I'm able to spend more time creating content, advocating for children and families in our community and around the country. I think that a couple really best places to advocate. One is on social media because parents, legislators, educators, everybody's on social media. And if you can provide good information, you are able to capture attention and change hearts and minds because of your relatability, your authenticity, and your credibility as a physician. And so I have dedicated a lot of time and energy to creating good videos and informational sources for parents during the pandemic about COVID and what what's going on with COVID. What should we think about the vaccine? What are the common issues and concerns that parents are facing? And you can have really good nuanced conversations on social media, on podcasts, on videos, on Instagram, on stories, on all those different places where it actually has an influence. And I hear from a lot of people, you know, they usually send me a DM, hey, I was kind of on the fence about getting the COVID vaccine. I saw your video. I've seen your messages. I saw that you recommend it for families, that your own kids got it. That made me decide to get it. Or I just got a message, several messages the other day. I had posted about the risk to COVID for pregnant women. And several said, this changed my mind, or this was enough to push me over to decide, yes, I'm going to get the vaccine. And so that advocates just by sharing that good information and being an authentic, credible source online when there's a lot of misinformation and disinformation that, that people are, are trying to wade through and you know deal with. The other place that I think has been really fruitful for me is in our state legislator. 
And we have a unicameral government, which is kind of an, we're the only state to have that where we only have one legislative body. We don't have a Senate and a house. We just have one body. And so it's actually made it easier to go and, and speak before the legislators because there's only one group of them rather than having to speak with both. And so I've gotten involved with our Nebraska Medical Association and gone down to the Capitol to speak about issues that are important to me and to my patients. And, and being able to do that has been a real privilege because you can actually see the fruits of the work that you do in the way that policy changes are enacted or not based on your credible, authentic, informational abilities as a physician. Well, and I think we forget that a lot of legislators, most of them, don't have any medical training or background, but they're making lots of policy that impact that. So having that voice and doing it in a way that feels you know, like collaborative as opposed to adversarial, like I'm just Mm -hmm. here, I'm a physician, this is what I do. You know, like you said, it's authentic. And so I I think it may make more of an impact because of that. And and that voice is really important. Well, everyone loves their pediatrician, right? I mean, your your pediatrician's I'll say more than any other doctor, have the heartstrings of parents who, you know, are legislators and grandparents who are the legislators because everybody had their pediatrician growing up and everybody's kids went to their pediatrician and you trusted them to help you get through those tough times of parenting and ear infections and illnesses and behavioral issues and all those sorts of things. So you get that extra, you know, points added to you because as a pediatrician, you instantly gain the, um, credibility of your colleagues that took care of those people's kids growing up and everything like that. So I think the one other thing that has been really helpful for advocating is using my online local social media presence to help families. So I did, uh, I partnered with our local organization that was doing a diaper drive and we got like 10,000 diapers donated through our efforts to fill this diaper closet that people that are low income that don't have the means to purchase diapers and insurance doesn't cover them to to fill that closet for months on end. And we at my new office have been giving out N95 masks to teachers and school staff because they're wanting that sort of protection, but not able to find it or afford it. And we have a surplus or we had a surplus that we gave out of N95 and surgical masks for kids. And so those are other ways that you can use your position and your online presence and those sorts of things to advocate for community and also to bring awareness of this. Hey, there's a difference in masks. You might, if you're a teacher and you're around, you know, kids in the midst of a coronavirus surge want something more than a cloth mask. N95s protect better and we have extra N95s to swing by our office when we're open and you can pick one up. Yeah, it's super supportive and yeah, what a nice contribution to your community in the work that you do. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think being a pediatrician is such a gift, but also working with other pediatricians because, you know, you, you got to love people that love kids, right? And right. can do so many, and there are so many kinds of things. I mean, not everyone is going to do, you know, a podcast or go to the right. level that you are, but everybody can do something, whether it's in your child's school, writing a letter, an op-ed, if it's, you know, being involved in your, you know, your church. I mean, there's lots of places where your voice can be helpful. And and I think that that is really meaningful. So For sure. And just in the exam room too, going back to the basics of in the exam room, 
advocating and saying why you feel such and such is important, that spreads without doing any Instagram or podcasting or anything like that, um, because you have that voice and that authenticity. And so just being a good advocate in that exam room one-on-one with a child and parent, or if the parent you know, has some area of expertise or some influence, talking to them about those things just makes that spread even without going above and beyond what you do in the exam room. Well, I love that you're making a difference out there in the world in so many ways, and you're creative, and I love that you're you know, able to pivot and do something new. I mean, that takes a lot of courage and good for you and hopefully will bring you joy. I think it's hard to make, I mean, I was at the same same practice really for my entire career, 33 years. And to go into a different space and do consulting and do podcasting and, and not seeing kids face-to-face is a huge shift. But there are so many ways that we can serve children. So, Again, hats hats off to you. Well, I always close my interviews with asking if you could go back and talk to yourself when you were a resident, what advice would you give yourself? Oh, that's a really good question. I think if I were a resident and I was going to go back and say something to myself, I think that I would reinforce that it's good to have boundaries, both personal and professional boundaries, and that. It often feels like as a resident and as a student, you're just swept along and have very little control over the way things are going and the way things have always been done. And you just kind of get swept up into that and, and pushed along that path. But I think that I would I would encourage myself to say, does this make sense? Is this best for me, my family, my patients, my community? And if it doesn't, then being quick to say, okay, well, this doesn't make sense. Let's figure out a different way to do this. Because I think a lot of physicians, a lot of pediatricians feel stuck and stuck in the way things have always been done. But if anybody can start a business, well-trained physician that's well-educated and you know has all of their faculties can certainly start a business and pivot and do something different that works best for their family, their community, for their patients, and lets them sleep well at night. So I would just encourage myself and any other pediatricians that that you don't have to settle for the way things are or the way things have always been done. You're you're a troublemaker. You're shaking it up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. Rabble a rabble rouser rocking the boat. So yeah, <laughs> sometimes it it it's really hard to uh, make change. I think it is particularly for a lot of us. We're we're rule followers. I mean, we have guidelines and. You know, we we do things by the book and and to sort of say, ah, this isn't working for me and I can take my gifts elf- elsewhere and do something different and still make an impact and, and have purpose and do good. So oh, for sure. It's hard. It's hard to go swim against the stream. But I think that, you know, a lot of, of pediatricians out there probably feel a little bit stuck or a little bit underappreciated. And so there's always an opportunity to do something that makes you feel more appreciated and to enjoy your life more and your family more. Because at the end of the day, as important as you feel in your role, like you're only going to have a lasting impact on the people whose lives you touch on a daily basis, meaning your family and yourself. And so I would just encourage people that are kind of on the fence of, is this for me to explore what else is out there? Because it might make you enjoy your life and your your practice more. Yeah. 
I absolutely. Well, thank you so much. What a joy to talk to you. And it's so fun to see where you've come in a year. I'm sorry people didn't get to hear where you were a year or two ago, but <laughs> well, it would all be real relevant now. Everything's changed. So absolutely. this, is, this absolutely. is much more on topic. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, good luck to you in your new practice and your new podcast. You. And how can people find you? Because you've got a lot of places to look. I do have too many places to look. The easiest place is on probably on Instagram. That's kind of my home base as far as social media goes. And it's at Phil Boucher, MD. And that's kind of where everything is. And then my podcast, Raising Good Parents and Pediatrics 2.0 are the two podcasts. So I guess those would be the main places to find me. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure I put those in the show notes and I'll repeat them again in my takeaways. So hopefully people will look for you and you know, find some inspiration and you're so upbeat and you, uh, you know, you just do so many things well. So thank you again for what you're doing out there. Absolutely. Thank you for doing what you're doing too. Take care. What a fun conversation and what an amazingly energetic guy Dr. Boucher is. So here are my takeaways. Number one, be brave and find what works for you, even if it is a very hard pivot. Number two, Dr. Boucher stepped into solo practice and direct pediatric practice. For him, it was a new way to serve patients and meet their needs and to find a balance for himself and his family. Number three. So if you are entrepreneurial at heart, create a podcast or two. This allowed Phil to have conversations that were impactful both for pediatricians and for parents. Number four. Pediatrics 2.0 podcast is for you. It's all about what's happening in our world, and he really offers great guests to keep you on your toes. Number five, Raising Good Parents podcast is just that for parents, and it might be a nice resource for the families you serve. Number six, we have an amazing opportunity to create trusting relationships with parents and patients. They do not want to go it alone. We matter to parents and patients, and your work matters. Number seven, there are many opportunities to advocate for kids and families. Be reliable, authentic, and credible. Number eight, you can advocate on social media, offering accurate information if that's a space that you're comfortable in. You may be some of the most reliable information that's on there. Number nine, you can advocate with legislators. Most do not have medical training, and yours might be the voice that directly impacts policy in a meaningful way for the patients we serve. Number 10, you can advocate locally. Classrooms, school boards, housing boards, food pantries, doctors' voices, and pediatrician voices in particular are really important. Find your community partners. And number 11, his parting advice Embrace change if you're stuck and have good boundaries around you and what matters to you most. This one is a hard one, and we all know when we have had to respond to late night and weekend calls that affect our families and friends. Do what you can and know your limits. I, I was just thinking about this with my husband and just remembering those long days and long nights when my kids were little and I am so grateful that I had a partner who could put up with it, right? And really appreciate the work I was doing. But, you know, it's hard. And, you know, especially for those of you that have families, it adds just that even more, you know, more to do. And all of us have busy lives and important things to do. I hope that um, you found some comfort in listening to Dr. Boucher. 
tune into his Pediatrics 2.0 podcast, refer your patients to Raising Good Parents podcast, and I hope that you have a really great day. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review. It really helps people find the podcast, and I would be so grateful. Take good care, and I will see you here next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pediatric Meltdown. In the words of Maya Angelou, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. Let's do better together. This podcast was made possible by the team at Streamlined Podcasts. Music was composed by Connor McHugh and cover art was designed by Alexia Barrero.